Oh, I needed that music this morning. My heart has been fed, challenged to be unified together in song. Let's be unified together in the word of God of Philippians chapter two. As we continue, this passage is all about unity and unity that is achieved only through humility. So Philippians chapter two, as we close out this section on the humiliation and the exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, we'll be looking at 9 through 11 for the majority of our time today. So this past summer, uh, some students, myself, and some other leaders had an opportunity to go on a a vision trip where we went around and looked at different uh, religions, different belief systems, how we can learn from them, how we can engage them with the gospel. And one day we were in a Somali market And as we were walking around the market, inside that market was a Muslim mosque. And some of the leaders were standing outside of it and they motioned us. They saw that we didn't belong there and they reached over to us and motioned us to come in and check things out because they were about ready to start the call to prayer. And we came in and watched as hundreds, hundreds of men coming from college students all the way up to extremely old came in stood side by side and prayed together. And we were to sit in the back on a bench and watch and observe all this take place. But as we realized very quickly, we weren't only going to be spectators. The people that were there, the men that were involved, wanted us to be participants. They wanted to convert us to their belief system So they began to sit down and engage with us and the crowd became larger as we reasoned together from the Bible and from the truths or the the teachings of of their belief system. And as time went on, the crowd got larger and larger that we went into a room that was off to the side. And they were very hospitable to us. They offered us dates. That's like a giant raisin, not like the date that you originally think of when you think of that, right? And so they offered them to us, we ate them, and it was hilarious, because I don't think any of us knew about the giant pit that was inside of a date, and each one of us was like, oh, wow! And some guys stuck it in their pockets, the other of us threw it away, but they talked to us. And then they came in and said, why don't you go in the next room, get down on your knees, and cry out to Allah for salvation? and he will save you. Now obviously I didn't do it, but let me tell you what my response was instead a little bit later on in this message. Let's look at verse three to get some context of Philippians chapter two. Verse three says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on the cross, even death on a cross. Verse nine says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. We saw last week, this section on humility is about Jesus and his example to us. Now, Harmon points out that the first half of the passage that we looked at last week focuses on what Jesus did. And what did he do? Although he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. That is, taking on humanity which he did not possess before without giving up his deity, the unboundless, timeless God entered into our time and into our space. And thirdly, he humbled himself. Humbled himself to the most cruel death imaginable, death on a cross. And so we get to this new section here and we come to a very important word which we're gonna see here in verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. The word is therefore. That's the word here. It's one of the most important words in all of the Bible. When you study the Bible on your own, and hopefully you do, whenever you get to therefore, you stop and you ask, okay, this is important. A transition is about to happen. You ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Easy to remember, right? And what you do is you look at it and go, okay, in light of what I just read, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to believe in light of what I just read? Most of the time, it's because of Christ, because of all his goodness, because of all his mercies, therefore, live your life in such a way as a response. And this text that we read this morning is actually sandwiched in between two therefores. The second one that we'll look at next week is actually that, that in light of all this, therefore, live differently. But our therefore this morning is a little bit different. It tells us, therefore, God. It's putting the focus in on what Jesus has done and what God does to Jesus as a result of what he has done. What the Father does to the Son, God then responds to him and does some things to him. So here's why we need to listen this morning. Some of you are here this morning and you're exhausted. I'm not talking physically, maybe you're physically exhausted too, but exhausted of trying to exalt yourself of living in such a way that you get glory, you get praise, thinking that's gonna bring joy, satisfaction, and you're finding that it's bringing the exact opposite. And we need to, to listen this morning as we want to look to Jesus and look at what his example is and what the Father does to him to put our minds in the right place, to put Christ in the same place that the Father puts him. Verse nine, we'll read it one more time. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him. So what the father does to Jesus is first of all, he restores him to his rightful position. God the father restores Jesus to his rightful position. 
It's not a new position. As MacArthur points out, it's a restoring of what Jesus already eternally possessed before the incarnation. But now he is possessing it fully as now being God and also man at the very same time. This exalted word means to be raised to the highest of loftiest heights, that there is no other position that is higher. And this has been a goal of the Father all along. It's actually been prophesied that this is going to happen. Speaking of the suffering servant who we know as Jesus from Isaiah chapter 52, this is what it says, behold, my servant shall act wisely, He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So God's plan was to always lift up Jesus Christ and exalt him on the cross and after he died and rose again to exalt him to the highest position of authority. That's why the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the heir of all things and through him was the world made. So first, the father restores him to his rightful position And secondly, look at verse nine for the second half there. It says, therefore God has highly bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He restored to him his rightful name. God the Father did to Jesus, he restored him his rightful name. Now Jesus was a very common name. It was actually the name Joshua is where we get Jesus from, and it means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. And it's been pointed out to us that embedded in Jesus' name reveals to us the purpose of why he came. Jesus' very name says he came to save sinners from their slavery to sin. That's what Jesus means. But what's interesting here is Paul is not referring to the name of Jesus. He's not referring to his given name that was on the earth speaking of what he was going to do or what he had already done. Instead, Paul is referring to verse 11 where we see the name that talks about his position, who he is because of it, and that is the name Lord. Jesus is Lord. He says he's exalted him, Jesus, to the name that is above every name. Now the only name that's above every name is the name of God himself. So what's Paul saying? Exactly. Jesus is God himself. That's why he shows up to his friend in the book of Revelation and he says, I am the living one. I died, behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is what the Father has done. He's exalted him and he's given him the name which is above every name. Why? For what purpose has God done this? Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the purpose? So that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every, you know what that word means, right? It means all. 
But I did a word study on that this week in the Greek, and it's really interesting what I was able to find. The word in the Greek for every is the word pan. And it's interesting because it's an adjective. It's describing what kind of knee, what kind of tongue. And here's what I found out. The word every in Greek actually means every or all. It means the exact same thing that it does in English. So what is Paul saying? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, nobody is left out. And then he goes on to define it. He says, just in case you're wondering what all and every means, the first is heaven. That is all the angels, everyone that is already there that is known to come faith in, to faith in Christ, they will one day all bow before God, before Jesus and declare him as Lord. Secondly, he says, all the earth, that is redeemed and unredeemed sinners, rebels, agnostics, soccer moms, the most religious, everyone is going to bow. And then he says, under the earth, that is the unredeemed, awaiting final judgment that have already died and did not claim Christ in this life. That's the fallen angels and yes, even Satan himself. And on that day, if you don't have knees or you don't have a tongue, one will be provided for you. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this has been prophesied for a long time before this. This isn't new to Paul. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 45. It says, turn to me. This is God talking here. So the way of salvation is turning to God, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's no other. By myself I have sworn. I love that. There's no one higher than God, so you can't swear by anyone else. He says, so by myself I've sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess and swear allegiance. So Paul is quoting about Jesus, what God quotes about himself in the book of Isaiah. So what's Paul doing here? He's saying one day everyone will face and encounter a living God and that God is Jesus Christ. And we will all confess and bow before him. So is he talking about universalism though? The belief that everyone will be saved? I mean here it says all will bow. Every time we'll confess, so in the end, do all people come to know Christ? Well, if you look at the teachings of the scripture, you'll see that that is clearly not the case. And what this is referring to here is those that will acknowledge God in sheer terror. They will be forced to declare because of the gloriousness of God that he is Lord and bow to him, but not in their hearts. They'll acknowledge who he is positionally, but he won't take place in their hearts. They'll be against him still. Just as the demons were, as you look at the book of Matthew, verse chapter three, it says, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down and cried out, you are the son of God. So the demons know who Jesus is, but yet it's just a, a knowledge of who he is. They haven't been changed by him all will confess. It'll either be in great joy or in great terror. Which will it be for you? 
So this passage is about unity, right? I don't know, the pastor brought this out last week and I agree it seems weird that all of a sudden Paul goes, let me take a break here and teach you about Christology for a little bit. But it's not weird when you see that God is the ultimate example of humility. That Jesus Christ himself is the example and there's no one greater that Paul could use. He's the ultimate example, God himself. And we need this because each and every one of us is seeking to be exalted in our careers, at our school, in our friendships. Or perhaps a nicer way of saying it is we want things our way, which is the right way, right? So the other day I had a, a man cold. Um, when I get colds, I just shut down and I go lay down in the room. Kids stay away, mom keeps them away. Well, the other day, uh, my wife was ill and I said, this is my opportunity. I'm gonna go make eggs for the kids. And I went downstairs, made some beautiful eggs for the kids and they rejoiced at how great they were and they were awesome. And then I went upstairs to my wife and the kids were fed, they were waiting to get on the bus and I was in my workout clothes. And she goes, what are you doing? So I'm gonna go work out. She's like, you're not gonna stay and help, I'm sick. And I said, I made eggs, right? <laughs> Her definition and way of helping was different than mine. And then of course we had a argument about that we talked it out, right? No one else does that, just us, right? <laughs> Both of us were seeking to be exalted. We had expectations of the other one. We have to look at Christ's example of humility because each and every one of us, because of our fallen sinful nature, wants our way. It started in the garden. I see it in my kids, in the interactions that we have and yes, even in Sailorville Church. This is serious, it's, it's wrecking some of you. Your marriage is in trouble. Your friendships are strained. You have a terrible relationship with your parents, students, because you're trying to exalt yourself and get in your own way and not following Christ's example. And Jesus tells us why this is happening. He says to us, here's the reason. Matthew 23, verse 12, he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He said, that's the reason you're struggling, because you're pursuing exaltation, but whenever you pursue exaltation, the result is always being humbled. He says, this is what you think is gonna bring you joy, this is what's gonna bring you everything that you need, but it's bringing you the exact opposite. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you want to be humbled? Then pursue exaltation. How's that going for you, by the way? Is it bringing you what you want? God won't share his glory with anybody and when we pursue our own, it doesn't work out the way we planned. That's why Matthew continues with that verse and he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what is Jesus saying? If you pursue humility, the result will be exaltation. You'll be exalted. Now this goes completely against our entire makeup, doesn't it? 
That's not the way to exaltation is being humble. It's pursuing what I want, my dreams, my ambitions. We had a cell group member share just a couple weeks back in our time. They said, I'm struggling with pride. I want things to go my own way. And another one pointed her to this text that we hadn't even gotten here yet in Philippians chapter two, looking at Christ's example of humility. Paul says the only way to be exalted is to make yourself low. But it's important to note, who's the one doing the exalting in this text? Who's the one that's doing the exaltation in chapter two of Philippians? It's God. He's the one that's exalting Christ. Christ isn't exalting himself. Do you see that there? What's our responsibility then? To always be in every way pursuing humility. If we want to be unified, it's always about pursuing humility and trusting God to bring about the exaltation in his timing. And this just isn't one place, this is all throughout the scripture. He says in James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you see this? The therefore actually becomes our therefore. The principle becomes true of our lives. When we humble ourselves the same way that Jesus did, the promise comes that God in his timing will exalt us, but we have to be willing to pursue humility. So how do we become humble people? Well, we have to have a heart that changes from wanting to be exalted to being, wanting to be humble, and that only happens through drawing closer to Jesus Christ. That's what we say around here, more people more like Jesus, and not just to grow our numbers, but because we know that as you become more like Christ, you're gonna grow in humility. As you become more like Christ, you're gonna grow in love. As you become more like Christ and you behold him, you're gonna grow more and more to be like him and you'll start to be living in a way that scripture teaches. So how do we do that on a given day? I wanna give it to you from this text here. This is the pathway to humility like Christ. The pathway to humility like Christ, how your affections, what you love is changed. And the first one is to make your present posture match your future posture. If we're all headed towards bowing the knee before Jesus, that is one day going to be our posture, shouldn't that now be our present desire? To be living spiritually each and every day on our knees before the Lord? I mean, to kneel down before someone means to show them honor, to submit to their authority, to say that they're greater than me. Listen, that's how you grow in humility, is daily saying, I want my posture where the greatest joy is gonna come from if I know Christ one day, when I'm down my knees before him, that needs to be my posture now. That's how I become a humble person and how I experience true joy that God has for me. Living under God's authority and pursuing in every relationship, every moment of every day, this is the kind of posture I wanna have, kneeling, a heart posture before the Lord It's gonna match my physical posture in the future. Secondly, make your present confession match your future confession. 
Make your future, your present confession match your future confession. If every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, in the city of Philippi, that was not a, a flippant phrase that Jesus is Lord. You didn't just say that, you really thought about what you were saying. Because in Philippi, it was a Roman colony and they believed that Caesar was deity, was God himself. And the standard greeting at that time was Caesar is Lord. And so every time someone would greet and say, Jesus is Lord, was saying, Caesar is not. Things change. There was a difference when you came under the Lordship of Christ. And in the same way when we do, when we claim that Jesus is Lord, things should change, shouldn't they? When we say Jesus is Lord and, and I'm not, I'm placing myself intentionally under his authority and my life will look different. I will follow the things that he says and my joy will increase rather than decrease. See, that's the beauty of it. It's this upside down way of living. Joy comes through exaltation, we think, but no, joy comes through living in submission to God. So what happened on that day when I was standing with those Muslim leaders? They gathered around in that one. I remember his sincerity. It struck me with tears in his eyes and he totally instructed me to go cry out to Allah and have my sins forgiven. And I was praying, I was saying, Lord, would you just, would you guide me? Help me to know what to say in this moment. How do I move from here? And he said to me, why would you want to pray to a mere man? Why pray to the finite when you can talk to the infinite? And God said to me, there it is. You speak of me. And I said, that's the difference between me and you. And the difference about every belief system is what we decide about Jesus Christ. And I said, yes, he is a mere, he is a man, but he's not a mere man. He's the God man. And he's not finite, he is infinite. And there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's true for us right now. There is no name under heaven by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. And that's so important that he is the God man. Because who was the one that sinned? Man, right? So who's the only one that can take the penalty for man? Another man, but it can't just be a regular man, it's gotta be a perfect man, one that totally fulfilled the law, one that never ever sinned. That's the kind of man it has to be, but it has to also be God in human form because only God can bear the wrath of God, satisfy God the Father's wrath over sin. It has to be the God man, and because Jesus was both God and man, redemption has been accomplished. There's nothing left for you to pay. All you do is believe. So how do you come into a relationship with this God? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is, I missed an important word there. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what's the promise? You will be saved. So it's a confession. Now in this life, I believe that Jesus is Lord with my mouth and also in my heart and that God raised him from the dead. And if you do that, the God man Jesus will save you. And here's what I love. Jesus demands us to be saved. That's part of being Lord is he has demands on us. But Acts 2.42, Peter speaking of Jesus says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. So he's got the demands on us of what we're to live up to, but he's also the ones that fulfills the demands for us. When we fall short, Jesus is the savior the God himself who has demands on us comes and meets the demands in our place and takes our punishment. That's a great God. That's the God that is revealed to us in scripture. Oh, won't you trust him today if you haven't? Won't you experience this Jesus Christ, the God man, the only one able to save you? And let me encourage you, believer that's there, that's out there, to have your present heart posture match your future posture. To have your present confession match your future confession. Jesus, you're Lord over me. And I'm not just going to say that to myself, I'm going to speak that to other people. I'm gonna tell others that Jesus is Lord. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do this week. I wanna encourage you as you roll out of bed each day, before you do anything else, to roll down onto the floor onto your knees. Now this isn't comfortable, it doesn't feel good to sit on your knees, but it puts us in a place of submission. And saying, God, I want what I'm doing now to be the position of my heart throughout this whole day, throughout this whole week. And I acknowledge to you that you are Lord. And then pray something like this to God every day this week. Oh God, you are Lord Jesus Christ, your savior. You have demands on my life that I could never fulfill, but you fulfilled them for me. And so I wanna say to you this morning, I wanna be humble and I know that's a gift that you have to give me, and you've given me the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable me to be humble. God, I wanna live in unity. I wanna live in submission to you under your authority, because you and you alone are worthy. You're the name that is above every name. You are the highly exalted one. No one is higher, and so I wanna say that you're Lord, and I'm not. I don't want to come under your lordship today and submit to you, knowing that when I screw up, when I fail, that you are also Lord and Christ. You've taken my punishment, and oh God, that motivates me to live a life of holiness and submission to you. Thank you, Father, for providing for us the Son enlightening my heart to see my need for Jesus and my sinfulness as the way of salvation. God, I pray that at Sailorville Church we would do this and that we would live it out 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.